looking at that fruit of the Spirit known as kindness. That kind of fruit. And the book of Proverbs in particular has much to say on kindness. From Proverbs eleven seventeen, Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. From Proverbs 12, 25, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy, according to Proverbs 14, 21. And he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 14, 31. And Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward them for what they have done. I think it's interesting to think that an expression of kindness to someone who is on the margins of society could be seen as actually lending to the Lord. Never thought about it in those terms. But that's the beauty of God's Word. That's the beauty of Scripture. Is that it lends us perspective of what God so highly values. There is no question that uh, showing kindness to the poor, to the marginalized, is something that Jesus did. And so in doing so, it helps us to become more like Jesus. Kindness is one of the most obvious ways, church, that we can bear fruit. We think about what kindness is. Kindness, in any form, is really about action. I'm reading a book right now, and... uh, uh, and in it, it's about two world leaders, and one of them uh, is in power for a while, and it's, it's Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel. And he steps down, and he, he talks about how, uh, or I say he's, he's replaced, he didn't just step down, uh, he lost an election three years after he had won an election. But So he was not prime minister for several years, but there was one U.S. senator who sent him a handwritten letter basically saying, uh, I really think you did some good things in those three years that you served in that position and just sent a message of encouragement. And later he remembered that and said, you know, you were the only person that reached out to me when I lost that election. And the point being that kindness in any form, church, requires some kind of action. As the Proverbs writer said there, that it could be as simple as a kind word that might alleviate someone's anxious feelings. Uh, It could be in the form of a note that is written and dropped in the mail. Kindness can look like a thousand or more different things. But on some level, it always involves some type of action, whether it's in word or in deed.
Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul writing about love, he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. A verse that probably all of us have heard at some time or another. Certainly, if you've been to a wedding, it is often shared in that setting. But notice that the first two parts of love, the first two descriptions that Paul gives here in love are patience and kindness. And in Galatians 5, when he's naming the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And he puts them together once again. It's as if Paul is saying, you cannot have love without patience and kindness. And as challenging as last week's virtue was to us, the idea of patience. I shared that story about how, how no one has ever come up to me and said, oh, I've got patience licked. You know, that, that no one ever comes up to me and says, boy, joy is something i got to work on. But boy, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and it, it, people almost seem to bat a thousand to say, boy, preacher, patience is something that I need to work on. So as challenging as patience is, kindness is so much easier. It is not that difficult to do a kind act, to share a kind word with someone. People ask, tell me they like to know something, hear something on Sunday morning that they can go out and apply to the world. Well, church, here it is. It doesn't get any easier or any more basic than just showing kindness. Now, who you show kindness to, now that can be a bit more challenging. But yes, show kindness to even the people that you know don't like you very much. As we look at the book of Ruth, there is no book in the Bible, I think, that exhibits kindness the way Ruth's story does. In the story, you have a lady named Naomi. And Naomi has a, a husband and then she has two sons. And the family at some point left the southern region of Israel known as Judah. And then they went across the... Uh, excuse me, across the Jordan River, east of the Jordan River, to the land of Moab. And there they made their home for a while. And so their sons got older, and they both married Moabite women. And so at some point, we don't know the details of how it happened, but at some point, Naomi's husband dies, and both of her sons die. And so she has heard because there is now a famine in Moab. And so she has heard that the Lord is showing kindness to his people over in Judah, outside of Bethlehem. And so, and so Naomi decides that she is going to go back west of the Jordan into the Judean countryside. 
And her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, are going to go with her. And so we get to uh, verse 6 in Ruth chapter 1. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. When her two daughters and with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. And if you know the story, you know that a conversation ensues and ultimately Naomi says, listen, your prospects with, with me going to Judah are so limited. You're much better off going back where you came from, going back to your home. And so Orpah kisses Naomi and she turns back and this is where Ruth makes this declaration that, you know, quit trying to convince me to go back. It's not going to happen, she says in so many words. And that's where she declares that your people are going to be my people and your God will be my God. And so then uh, the ladies travel on together uh, to the land of Judah. And then in verse 5 of chapter 2, we read that Boaz has arrived on the scene where Ruth is out in the fields gleaning the grain. Whenever they would harvest the grain, there would be some left over. And so there were, there were people, typically they were poor people, that would go along behind the harvesters and pick up what little scraps they might have left behind. And so in verse 5, Moab has, Boaz excuse me, has arrived on the scene. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Why does that, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, we see there that Ruth has shown tremendous kindness to her mother-in-law. Even at a time when, when Naomi makes it clear, listen here, you know, uh, I got nothing for you once we get to Judah. You know, I'm not going to have any more sons, she tells her. So there's no, there's no opportunity for you to marry another son of mine. But then Ruth says, I'm not going to hear of it. I'm staying with you. And so her kindness to her mother-in-law has garnered her a reputation that people have talked about. They get to the village and word spreads that, hey, Naomi is back in town and her daughter-in-law, one of them, came back with her. How about that? And so now Boaz shows up and he sees her and he's like, oh, because the, the foreman, the overseer of the harvesters has said, you know, that's, that's the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. As if to say, boss, you've already heard the story. You've heard about this lady. And he says, she's a hard worker. She's been here from morning until now only to take a short break during the day. And so now Boaz gives her, a single woman in that culture, something incredibly valuable. He offers her the banner of his protection. He says, there is no need for you to go anywhere else. Don't go to anyone else's field. As long as you stay here, there's going to be safety. There's going to be water to drink. You don't have to worry about finding your own water or bringing your own water. You're going to be safe here, woman. And then, if we read the story on, and many of you know the story, then Boaz goes back and says, make sure you leave plenty. That when you're harvesting the grain, make sure that there's not just these minute little scraps. Make sure there is plenty left for her to gather up for her and her mother-in-law. Now, what's the big deal there? Well, he owns the fields, doesn't he, church? I mean, when a farmer gathers in the harvest, anything that's missed is what? It's money out of his pocket. So he is essentially saying, I'm willing to give up some of the bottom line to make sure that she and her mother-in-law are provided for. Tremendous kindness. And then if you were to read the story on to the end, you know that even him marrying her isn't something that can be done easily. It involves a trip to the town gate and a discussion with the elders and a discussion with some other people who choose not to take the role of kinsman redeemer and marry this woman. And so, just as Ruth has shown tremendous kindness, she in return is shown tremendous kindness by Boaz in this story. Some, uh, a couple of years ago, 
Scott Shanks, who is an elder at the Linery Church of Christ up in the Crossville area. He came and, and spoke to us on a, on a Wednesday night about the ministry of Alfred Bayan in Liberia, West Africa. And one of the things Scott shared with uh, the folks that gathered here that night, something he had shared with me in a conversation previously was, he said, in doing work in West Africa, and I think originally Ghana was the country where, where he went, uh, he said, uh, one thing I learned is that if, if you want to share the gospel with people, the most effective way to do that is to build schools for their children. A lot of those countries don't have a public education system like what we enjoy here in the United States. And so they rely on private academies. And so something that Scott said is, Greg, I have found if you want to reach people with the gospel, the first thing you do is show them kindness. And they react to nothing any better than you caring enough about their children to build a school where they can learn. And so what's pictured here, this three-story, I guess that's four-story green building, uh, is the Morningstar Christian Academy, which has been built in the last uh, year or so, adjacent to the GSA Road Church of Christ, where Alfred Bayan has preached for the last several years. And so uh, they've got uh, a brand new school there, and I don't know how many students they have, but there's no question this is the nicest of the schools uh, that, have, that they've, they've established in Liberia. Alfred has established numerous schools and congregations in small village outside of Liberia. And some of you will remember that him talking about the first village he established a church and a school in was called uh, Barcoma. I think I'm saying that right. And so he would go to the village of Barcoma, and uh, some of you may remember, it was seven hours that he would have to walk from Monrovia to get to Barcoma. And, uh, and so Alfred is someone who from time to time will arrange campaigns and those of you that are friends with Alfred on Facebook you know the number of baptisms that have, been, uh, have, have come about simply because of his tireless efforts to spread the gospel. But I bring that up church because what opens the hearts of these people to the gospel? The fact that someone shows them kindness. We had a discussion right over here in the wing on Wednesday evening about that. And that you know, beating someone over the head with a Bible, so to speak, is far less effective than living out the gospel in your own life and showing someone kindness, a kindness that they have trouble understanding. Jesus talked about this briefly in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.41, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Right, church? Something we've heard all our lives. Because in ancient times, and those, those Roman roads, they had mile markers. And it was the law that any Roman soldier 
could enlist the help of any peasant along the road to carry their equipment. And so someone is going along, and even if you're going in the other direction, they don't really care. (laughs) They need someone to carry their equipment. And so they say, hey, need you to carry this. And so you you're, you got to carry that. And you get to the next mile marker, and then that soldier is there ready for you to hand your equipment back over to him, the, his equipment back over to him. And then he's going to enlist the help of someone else that he happens to meet on the road. But then what happens? Jesus has told him, someone forces you. Doesn't say request, does it? He says forces. Someone forces you to go one mile. Go with them too. And so there you are, carrying that equipment the second mile. And he says, Whoa, didn't you see the mile marker back here? Yeah, yeah, I did. But I'm going to go ahead and go a second mile with you. Well, why in the world would you do that? All the miles I've traveled on these roads with my equipment, no one's ever offered to go a second mile. Well, you see there, I'm I'm a disciple of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. You show kindness. You do more than is expected. And then you open an opportunity to share with people why you have kindness in your heart in the first place. Because left to our own devices, are we going to do more than we have to? Yeah, some might. Most of us probably not. But it's because of what, church? Because Christ reigns in us. It's because of Jesus of Nazareth that we're willing to do something, show some act of kindness that people don't expect It was September of 1995. Carol and Charlie Harvey, as was reported some years ago in uh, Christianity Today magazine. Carol and Charlie Harvey answered an early morning knock at the front door. It was two policemen standing there doing what no law enforcement officer ever wants to do. It was a death notification for their 20-year-old son, Chad. He had been killed. Grief-stricken, they went through the motions of the funeral and life. But as Christmas approached, Carol found herself giving vent to her disappointment and her anger with God. He had failed her. Why hadn't he protected her son as she had so often prayed? In desperation, she prayed, God, if you care about me, I need a miracle. Otherwise, I think I might die. And she waited. And as Christmas approached, one night the doorbell rang. When Carol's 13-year-old daughter answered it, she found a gift but no giver nor anything identifying who the giver of the package was. The gift was a tree branch with apples planted in it and a blue plastic nightingale perched on top. 
Attached was a piece of paper which read, On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. We couldn't find a partridge, the note said, and our pear tree died. So you have to settle for a bluebird and an apple tree. Also attached was a Bible verse describing the birth of John the Baptist. The next evening there was another ring of the doorbell and another gift. Though Sarah, Cheryl's daughter, raced to the door hoping to see who the giver might be, she wasn't fast enough who discover to discover who the mystery giver was. This time, there was a box containing turtle brand lollipops and two Dove brand chocolate bars. The note read, On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. And on it went the next ten days. The third day were three Cornish hens with a note that said the French hens had lost their passport. The fourth day there was a cassette tape with songs which had the word bird in the title and a card that said four calling birds. On the fifth day five golden rings were five fresh donuts. On the sixth day six geese laying were pastel chalk eggs. On the seventh day seven swans swam across the top of a blue frosted cake. On the eighth day, maids a-milking was a cow candle. On the ninth day, nine ladies dancing were actually 18 gingerbread people decorated as dancers with the notes that said the Equal Opportunity Employment Act wouldn't allow them to send just nine ladies. On the tenth day, there were ten wooden leaping puppets. On the eleventh, a James Galway tape. And for those of you that don't know who James Galway is, he's a famous flautist, which is a... Kind of an uppity way to say flute player. Uh, And on the twelfth day of Christmas, there were twelve drums made out of biscuits that had been covered with icing. And each day, there was a scripture verse preparing them for the approaching Christmas holiday. The article goes on to say that Carol found this to be her miracle. For the first time since Chad's death, she had begun wow. She had begun looking forward to the next day. Wondering what would come next. Thinking of that time, she says, "It was my miracle when I couldn't talk to God, when I didn't even want to talk to him." He sent someone else. God used earthly hands to send me these gifts. But his fingerprints were all over it. Now, what Carol's experience reminds us of is something that we probably never think about. Wouldn't surprise me if there's not a person gathered here this morning that has ever felt like they were someone else's miracle. But through someone's creativity and through someone's willingness to keep this going for 12 consecutive days, they changed her perspective on life. Now, 
This in no way filled the hole in her heart. And many of you know the prayer that Carol prayed. As someone who has a son who lives 90 minutes north of here in Nashville, I know what it's like to pray for him. Often, God protect him. There's stuff that goes on in that city that doesn't go on here. A lot of people in that city. A lot of stuff that can go wrong. And so I understand her feeling that, boy, God let me down. Because on this side of glory, as much joy as we might receive, as much as we might love life, at some point, there's going to be tragedy. There is going to be heartache. There's going to be trouble. But someone else's kindness was her miracle. And church family, as we close out our time together this morning, don't think that your act of kindness is not worth much. Even small acts can be huge, can be life-altering perspective-giving gifts to someone else. As challenging as it can be to be patient, it only takes our willingness to be kind. Church family, let's be kind. If you're with us this morning, and you have not yet changed the trajectory of your life for all eternity by confessing Jesus as Lord and putting on Christ in baptism, then we offer you the opportunity to do that right now. If you're with us this morning and there's something weighing on you that you need the prayers of this body, we offer the invitation for that reason also. Let's stand together and sing, Steve.